If you like the work that we produce on this show, support the show and get access to extra content and more at patreon.com backslash Fred Opie show. Live from our studio in Babson Park, Massachusetts, it's the Fred Opie show where we unpack history to positively impact the future. I am Fred Opie, your host. Thanks for joining us live or listening to the podcast. Our guest today is Jackie Huffnell. Uh, Jackie is considered one of the best officials of all time on the women's side. Jackie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. What is the oldest thing you know about your family history, either on your mom or your dad's side? Father came, he was uh, Scots-Irish, basically an orphan, so there wasn't a lot on his background. And uh, my mother was what they called Pennsylvania Dutch. I had a grandmother who actually wore a bonnet, and she was uh, of the uh, plain folk. We were from uh, the Hershey area, Reamstown, which is Lancaster County, I think. My dad was Milton Hershey, and my mother was Hershey High School, so they stayed pretty much in the area. My father was was very athletic, and he was uh, actually uh, played a lot of sports. Being a Milton Hershey boy, he competed in all kinds of things at that school, and uh, he went on to Bucknell University at a time when a little, most people were not going on to universities at and uh, unfortunately, he was dra- he was actually drafted by the Detroit Lions to play pro football. Wow! And at the same time, he had the draft from uh, Uncle Sam, so you can figure out where he went. And he came back and finished his education at um, Westchester, and then he began teaching. And my mother was very athletic; she was quite a golfer and quite a swimmer. When they were married, they were married in Texas because my dad was stationed at San Angelo, and my mother got on a train and went out to meet him at the uh, Army base, and that's where I was born. We only stayed in Texas for a couple years, and then my dad went off on a ship to China, and uh, it was at the very end of the war, and my mother came back to the Hershey area, and we lived a couple places in Hershey, and then we ended up in the Harrisburg area, I have three younger sisters. We lived in a house in Pembroke, which is on about two miles from the state capitol. That's where I grew up. Were your siblings at all athletic like you? Well, my youngest, the, the next one down, two years younger, when she came into high school, they put a little caption under a picture of her driving to the basket to make a layup, and it said, is this another McElhenney, which was my maiden name. They called her Little Mac. The other uh, sister was very musical in drama, and the youngest sister ended up at Bucknell, and uh, she was quite an athlete, played a lot of field hockey, and played on the Bucknell Frisbee team. Describe uh, the kind of neighborhood you grew up in. It was wonderful. Uh, if I could go back to those times again, Freddie, I, I, I would go back. I absolutely would go back. It was the best time of my life. It was a small neighborhood. Everybody knew everybody. Uh, we rode our bikes all over the place. We got up in the morning, got our chores done, jumped on our bikes, rode down to the community pool where we swam and 
frolicked all day. The all kinds of fields, community fields, where we played ball games and just enjoyed everybody's company. It was it was innocent fun and it was lovely. Describe the high school. I went to Central Dolphin High School. I originally started at Pembroke, and then they closed that school, and then they, uh, our school joined in with Paxtang and uh, Susquehanna and Lower Paxton, and we formed this big conglomerate called Central Dolphin. 400. I think there were 400 in, in, in wow. my graduating. Yeah, there were a lot of people, a lot of people. It was, it was a big school, really big school, and I, I just... I, it was the first time I was introduced to any kinds of um, interscholastic sport. It was mm-hmm. the first time I knew you could play sports and play them on a team. So, of course, I played everything. Field hockey, basketball, softball, and tennis. Competed in tennis in uh, tournaments all in the summertime. Who were the mentors that you had during those teen years? They were good coaches, and most of them were graduates of Westchester. My dad, he just was very a very good supporter of anything we all wanted to do. Hmm. And so we tried everything. What about the decision to go to Westchester? How did that come about? What were some other places you were thinking about? There weren't any other places. That was it. It was Westchester, or I didn't go. And my father was paycheck to paycheck. He was an insurance salesman because he got out of education. He couldn't make enough money to uh, support a family of five, four of us being girls, and he wanted every one of us to have an education, and we all got an education. I knew I had to go to a state school. That was the first thing I was very aware of Mm -hmm. because the cost then I could afford, and he could afford, but he did tell me he could only afford it for two years because then my sister would be going into school because she was two years younger. I had always been impressed with anybody that I came into contact to who had gone to Westchester. Any of my coaches or any of the teachers who were at my high school, really, really good sound people. So that's what I did. I applied at Westchester and was accepted. What was your major at Westchester? Health, physical education, and recreation. You didn't play lacrosse in high school? No, I did not. So when did you get introduced to the sport? I was introduced to the sport when I took a class at Westchester University. It was Westchester Teachers College then, Mm -hmm. and um, I had to take that class as one of my uh, many, many classes to get my degree, and uh, that's where I was introduced to it. One class of lacrosse there, but I was a basketball player. Did you play basketball at Westchester? I played four years at Westchester. Yes, I did. And we uh, we only lost two games in those four years. I was coached by a woman named uh, Lucille Cavallis, who was uh, absolutely outstanding and uh, out of the New York, Long Island area. And the one game we lost was due to a, a scoring error. We did lose to her sinus, unfortunately. Basketball is very, very, very much like lacrosse. And that's where my background was. What was it about Westchester, in your opinion, that made it such a powerhouse in athletics? A staff that was years and years and years ahead of their time. They had people who were writing books on elementary education. They were writing books on how to teach particular sports. 
faculty was just, they were outstandingly good. They were really, really good. So you are there, you get introduced to lacrosse. Do you start playing on the team? When I went to Westchester, I did not play lacrosse. I played field hockey, I played softball, and I played basketball. And I really did not get into lacrosse until I had my first teaching job, which I got right out of Westchester. How did you and your family pay for your undergraduate education? The first two years were wonderful. I had everything, which is what he told me he was going to do. It's a little embarrassing, but I huckstered. I delivered newspaper in the dorms. I delivered pizzas in the dorms. My sophomore year took an officiating course because I knew I could make money officiating. And the woman I had was Eleanor Taylor, who was the state representative for the state of Pennsylvania. Very good instructor, and she told us right from the get-go, she said, if you're taking this course, you must get a rating. So I got my field hockey rating. They didn't even offer lacrosse wow. as a rating. This was in 63. Got my field hockey rating, and then I was able to go out and do games. And I would make about somewhere in the teens, probably $17, $18. And if I stayed on to do the JV game, they would give me another $8. No travel money, no accommodation money, no nothing. That was the money I helped use to pay for my education. And that got me through two years. The next two years, I was very, very, very fortunate because was able to live with a family. He was a retired professor, a music professor. He was the band instructor at Westchester, Edward Zimmer and his wife. And I moved in with their granddaughter, who was a year behind me. My father was able to pay money to them for my education and for my room and board. And I cleaned for them and helped them out around the house, that kind of stuff. None of it was easy, but looking back on it, it's it's what made me who I am today. And they were the most wonderful people I could ever have been associated with, and they taught me an awful lot. We're going to take a commercial break. This is The Fred Opie Show. For related content on negotiating the world of school and sports, visit our website at fredopie.com. Check out our podcast archive and review the show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. The best way to support the podcast is to tell a friend, share the show on Facebook and Twitter, or send them to our website at fredopi.com. Have you gotten frustrated trying to find something good to watch? Or frustrated by the 15 pounds you put on as a couch potato? I live by the mantras, agents of positive change focus their energy on learning. Learners are earners, and we are at our best when we are learning new habits and strategies. Some of my most important learning happens while exercising and doing mundane activities like laundry and other chores. Purchase a great book, audiobook, or CD during our fantastic $10.99 or less limited time offer sale and come learn fascinating topics and ideals with me. We have slashed the price on my Zona Hurston biography and on Southern Food and Civil Rights, the history of the role of food and U.S. movements from the Great Depression to Occupy Wall Street. Cook and bake the related historic recipes in the pages of these riveting food history books. 
read my sports autobiography and self-improvement book, Start With Your Gift, and my latest book, Super 7, and learn how to be more creative and productive. These and other great books, audiobooks, and CDs, all for $10.99 or less while supplies last. And here's some even better news. If you spend $30 or more, we're going to give you a free CD and ship your order for free. All orders will ship in 48 hours because we want you to get these resources as soon as possible. Go to our online store at fredopiespeaks.com and order now. Welcome back to this edition of The Fred Opie Show, unpacking history to positively impact the future. What was your first teaching gig, and do you remember your starting salary? No clue what my starting salary was, but it wasn't very much money. In Downingtown Area School District, and I was hired there to teach at the senior high school. I also was hired to coach the girls' basketball team. I started as the junior varsity coach on a brand-new lacrosse program. Lacrosse had just started, and I coached them for one year as a junior varsity, and then varsity coach retired, and so then I took over the varsity. What are the changes that you saw over your career, and what do you attribute the popularity of the women's game today? When I started, there was no, there was no arc. It was just a big open field. And no, and no boundaries. It was wonderful. All the boundaries were natural boundaries. So if, I'll give you an example. The one field that we played a game on that was part of the um, playoff game, right, was a great big ginormous open field. There was a big tree on the one end of it, so we couldn't go over anywhere near the tree. So the tree was out of bounds. We knew that. In a line with the tree, that was out of bounds. There was a big dip on the other side, and there was a hill on the other side. So you had your benches, you had your tree, you had your big dip, you had a a hillside. Those were all natural boundaries. Sometimes there was a creek running through the end of the the pitch. (laughs) Wow. And that was a natural boundary. I mean, that was was a no-brainer. So the thing you would say to your team when you brought them in at halftime or when you were talking to them was – okay, uh, this is our game, but now we need to hold the ball for a little bit, run to run to the creek. And they would. They'd run down around the creek, and then they'd bring everybody down. And when they got everybody down, then they'd go to the, run to the hill, and they would just run all over the place, killing the clock. That was a big change right there. Did you see that transition from wooden sticks to plastic sticks? We used wooden sticks for most of my cro- coaching career. And then when I continued on and did the uh, officiating, they changed to the other, you know, the uh, composite sticks. And I think it made the game better. If you could change three rules in women's lacrosse, what three rules would you change and why? I don't particularly ever think that the fan and the arc were wonderful. And I think they brought more problems with them. And I also think so many of the rules now are bent or are changed because people can't coach. I mean, what do you mean by that? I was around when the goalkeeper could hold the ball forever Mm -hmm. in her crease, Mm -hmm. you know? And then they brought that in that she had to release it in 10 seconds or whatever it was. And Mm -hmm. they couldn't, you couldn't hold it. That happened because when she, when she brought the ball out, the team then was unable to defend her. 
so they needed something, another way of getting the ball out to other players on the field, which in the end made the game a little bit quicker. And I think that's what they've done. They've made the game a little bit quicker by in- initiating these different rules, like uh, like there's no stand anymore. I understand they have to do that to make the game watchable for the television and watchable for the spectators. And it's really not the pure lacrosse game we started with, but it is an entertaining game and it still is lacrosse. If I could come in and say, don't do this or don't do that. Cause I think for its time, this is the way it has to be. Truly great referee. Uh, and who comes to mind for you? Judy Walstenholm. What made her so good? Really knew the rules. And she had her own code of ethics. She didn't put up with any nonsense. Didn't have to put up with any nonsense because she was so well grounded in what she did. What made you such a good referee? Experience. When I was mentoring or when I was working with younger umpires and when I was just on the field and umpiring, a situation would come up and they would look at me and they, my two partners, they would look at me and say, how do you know how, how, how oh, what are we going to do? Oh, and they were all like panic city. And I said, <laughs> well, I've done this. I've done this before about five, six, seven times. So it was experience. If I had, if I had experienced it, it was there. It was in the old memory bank, and that's what I always would fall back on. Something you wish you could have done in your career as an official? Mm. I wish I could have officiated basketball. I ended up coaching basketball, coming back into it in the 90s and coaching it again, and I tried to officiate it, but I just couldn't because I couldn't take off my coaching hat. So you see the game either as a coach or an official. Mm. And I just couldn't, I couldn't marry the two. I'm going to ask you a bunch of uh, questions in closing, just to learn a little bit about how you think about life and your philosophy. First one is, if you were going to make a required course before graduating from college, what would you put in your required course? You could make it any way you want. You could teach it any way you want. How to deal with people. Unpack that for me. How to talk to people face to face, how to be nice, how to uh, hold a decent conversation with people, uh, not rely on text messaging everybody. I'm old school. I think face to face and I think also um, just you got to be nice to people. You just the, the world's too rough as it is. Finding your way in the world when you come against when you come around people who are different. When you're officiating a game, mm-hmm. you have all types of people there and all types of personality. And then you throw in the coaches, you throw in the rabbit fans, and you throw in the crazy athletic staff. And you you have to be able to put a lot of balls in the air and juggle them away. Give me three H's in your life. A hero, a hardship, and a highlight. Probably would have to say... Um, Lucille Cavallis, my basketball coach, I think she probably was one of the most instrumental people in um, starting me on the the right path to to life, to being the person I am. The hardship is very easy. 
I lost my younger son in an automobile accident, and um, he was 17 years old, and that time will never go away, and is still painful to this day. And probably many of the highlights have been international lacrosse and World Cup tournaments that I have worked and being around and all the people I have been with who have been so good people, really, really good people and all over the world. And we just lost one of our absolute best person, and Susie Gansemuller from the Baltimore area who had uh, retired to the Arizona area. Before her, it was uh, Marge Garinger. And those people were also in a way kind of like my heroes, but that's what's happening now because we're all getting of an age. Dinner with three people, dead or alive. My son, I'm going to give you four, and my three sisters. They're the most important people in my life. I'm going to give you $10 million, and you're going to use it to support any nonprofit that you believe in. Where would you give your $10 million? Medicines and research my university, and the and U.S. lacrosse. Best advice you've ever received in your life? Always be true to yourself and keep smiling. What is something people would be surprised to know about you? I love food. I love to eat. <laughs> <laughs> I love to cook. And I've been thin my whole life. Yeah, so people think I probably have eating disorders and all kinds of other things, but I don't. I've just been thin. If you could have a superpower, which one would you want and why? Superpower? Um, I probably would like to be able to fly. Soar through the air. You know, I just would like to go, I would like to be able to go places and see things and and just enjoy, you know, looking down on the different uh, landscapes. I want you to reflect on your freshman year at Westchester, and I want you to tell me, in terms of eating, drinking, and exercise, how is it different from that freshman year at Westchester to now? (laughs) Freshman year at Westchester, we had the each family style, and we all had to get dressed up, and we had to go into the dining room and sit at big round tables, and then they passed all the food around, and if you were unlucky to be at a table with all the football players, you had to be quick, or you didn't get much. <laughs> I didn't do any drinking at all at Westchester any that I can remember, Um until I started playing basketball, and then the basketball team took me under their wing and thought I should go out with them for 25-cent beers. That was my drinking experience then. Athletically, I I just wanted to be outside. I wanted to be playing sports all the time. What I do now, I cook a lot. I love to eat. I love to entertain. And um, I still play golf, and I swim, and I do a couple fitness classes a week. So it's pretty much the same. What's the kindest thing anybody ever's done for Jackie Huff now? 
kind of thing, yeah. Mm. I'll include all my officiating friends in the kindest thing that's ever happened to me. When my son was killed, I could not, I would not have gone out of the house if it had not been for my umpiring pals and my coaching staff when I was coaching basketball at the same time. Those people all came to the house. They made sure I got to games. They made sure I got to practice practices. They were kind. Uh, at least two years, I had no idea where I was. Wow. They were there. They were all of them were there. Uh, and I'll never forget that. I will. I mean, the day after he was killed, there was a knock on the back door, and it started. And every day, there were more of them. They kept coming, you know, and taking turns and coming in. Then I started officiating, and I started co- back to coaching again because I knew if I didn't go out that back door, I would never go out the back door. They all would call me. They would make sure I knew where the game was. They would make sure I got to the game and got home from the game. And there was just so much kindness shown toward me from that whole umpiring family, the umpiring family. And, and that was in this Philadelphia area. Wow. That's a beautiful story. This is The Fred Opie Show. We'll be right back. Our scripture of the day is Matthew chapter 25, verses 42 through 45. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? And he will reply, Truly I will tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. A Navy SEAL said, You've only got three choices in life. Give up, give in, or give it all you've got. We're back. Are there particular books that you say, wow, if you got time on your hands, read this, read these three? Mm-hmm. Now, I just finished one that I thought was brilliant. It's uh, The Last Train to London. The Children of, of uh, Windermere. I love the stories about, about the Holocaust, about history, about the war, and how it, I spend a lot of time in England, and uh, they do history over there. They really do history. So, yeah, those, those are the kinds of, of reads I really, really enjoy. You just mentioned history and history, your love of history. Considering the coronavirus and what we're living through, in your life, what are things you would say to this generation that you lived through that this reminds you of? Oh, it reminds me of the polio epidemic, big time, really big time. Um, we weren't allowed to drink water out of the hose in the back garden, and my parents were frightened to death. It was a dreadful time. I know you live out in the country a bit, but are there things where you just like, look, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. 
I live in a, a really, really lovely community, and I'm on a, a small cul-de-sac, and there's eight homes here. I'd say we're all upwards, 60 and up, mm-hmm. and uh, and we go all the way up to 84. So we are staying in. We are not going out. We're being extra careful. I have not seen my son in three weeks because the place where he worked, he continued working and being in contact with the public up until last Friday. The people here are pretty sensible. The younger people don't get this. You know, I just don't know where their heads are sometimes. Let's close on this question. Uh, Jack, I'd like you to write a book of success. And I want you to think about three of the chapter titles that you would want in your book of success. What would be three chapter titles in your book of success? How my family influenced me growing up. How my education influenced me when I graduated from high school and from then on. And how the people who surrounded me over the many, many years of umpiring and coaching have influenced everything I've done. I should tell you in closing, since you love to cook, that you should probably visit my uh, my website, fredopi.com. As a food historian, I have a food blog. It's called the Foodways blog. And there are incredible recipes that go all the way back to 16th, 17th century, all the way up to contemporary. And you could even just type in the word Pennsylvania on the uh, search engine and see what stories come up with related recipes. I think you'd have a ball. I'll see if you've got any of my mother's Pennsylvania Dutch recipes. I, I think I think you'll find some in there that you like. Jackie, this has been great. I appreciate you getting on the phone with me, sharing your story. Uh, if you are on Facebook or have friends on there, Tell them, hey, if they want to learn a little bit more about the backstory, they could find it there. When the interview gets edited now for the podcast, I will make sure Mm -hmm. I send you a link so that you have it and you can share it with friends and family. That's it for this edition of the Fred Opie Show. Thank you for joining us. Check out the show archive at fredopiespeaks.com, as well as our books and other content. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our show notes where you'll find a way to subscribe to our podcast, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. You'll find links to books discussed on the show, links to our YouTube channel where you can watch the show. If you want to know more about what I'm doing, go to fredopi.com, which is my website. You can see information on the books I've published. There are two blogs that I host there, both a food and an athlete's blog, and there's both a food and an athlete's podcast. The whole archive to both those two podcasts are there. At the bottom of the podcast page, I have links to interviews that I have listened to on other people's podcasts that I would recommend to you. My wife, Dr. Tina Opie, worked as a management consultant before earning her Ph.D. at NYU Stern School of Business and becoming a tenured faculty member at Babson College. She has worked with the NFL, UBS, American Express, and Hulu to help their organizations do the hard work of becoming more inclusive. Tina Opie's consulting group can help your organization develop a strategy for elevating women and people from different racial, ethnic backgrounds to leadership positions. Tina's work on inclusion, appearance policies, authenticity, and or shared sisterhood 
will make a positive difference in your organization. Contact Tina at OP Consulting Group, LLC at gmail.com. That's OP Consulting Group, LLC at gmail.com.